listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. The oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear. And the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown. H.P. Lovecraft. Hello, this is Mark Redfield. Welcome to the program. Fear of the unknown. This is what gives plague, pestilence, pandemic. It's great power over us emotionally as human beings. I have not experienced it firsthand. I have not been in combat, in war. I have been mugged. I have been robbed at gunpoint. I have known fear. I have known, like you, mild fear. And fear of the unknown is what gives disease its great, great power. Things that we can see, things that are instigated by man, these, as irrational as they can be, often are easier to deal with in the, lo- in the long run. But things like disease, things that nature creates that we cannot see coming, we do not know where it is, this can create an irrational fear and make it harder for us to deal with. I hope that in this time of pandemic, coronavirus, COVID-19, that you are taking precautions and that you are doing everything you can to stay safe and to keep others safe. It's been a very, very hard time for many of us. It has affected our lives in many ways, if not directly, with experiencing the disease or loved ones who have experienced it. It has impacted us in many other ways. We were curious about how audio drama, the golden age of radio drama, how they handled the human side of experiencing plague. Oh, and before we go any further uh, with the three stories that we've selected for you in today's program, it should be pointed out for those that are not clear that uh, the title of this program and the subject of the three audio dramas plague, that uh, coronavirus is not the plague. Plague is an infectious disease, and it's caused by bacterium spread from rats to humans. You've heard of the Black Death. It's a form of bubonic plague that raced over Europe in the Middle Ages and killed nearly a quarter of the population. Three kinds of plague, one whose symptoms are swollen lymph nodes, another that ravages the lungs, and another that attacks the bloodstream. You have probably heard in all of the barrage of news and reports and um, things about uh, coronavirus, uh, of the Spanish flu, the influenza epidemic of 1918 to 1919, that killed so many. 
Coronavirus is not the plague, but it is an infectious disease that is spread from humans to certain animals. COVID-19, oh, and 19, by the way, refers to the year 2019, not 18 previous coronavirus cases. COVID-19 is caused by a virus, whereas plague is caused by bacteria. Antibiotics work on plague, not on viruses. The idea of plague as a subject matter for fiction, science fiction or otherwise, has always seized us. Early, early science fiction looked at the idea of plague. Even the end of H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds vanquished the Martians with an unseen combatant. I won't spoil that if you haven't read it. But novels, films, have you been tempted to watch one of the films, maybe the one with Dustin Hoffman and Rene Russo? Um, Outbreak. Would you put yourself through that? Well, we've curated and selected three tales from the golden age of radio, three very different tones looking at plague and how humans, how we, have dealt with it. The first story that we present in our trilogy is from an anthology series which ran on NBC radio uh, stations syndicated called The Weird Circle. And they ran from 1943 to 1945. They produced 78 episodes total. What set them aside apart from other anthology horror series of the age was their penchant for often adapting uh, famous authors like Edgar Allan Poe, Charles Dickens, Robert Louis Stevenson. In this story, some thieves, some badens, up to no good, wanting to take advantage of the tragedy of plague. And so here from December 5th, 1943, The Weird Circle is a story called the Great Plague. The Weird Circle. In this cave by the restless sea, we are met to call from out of the past stories, strange and weird. Bellkeeper, toll the bell so that all may know we are gathered again in the weird circle.
phantoms of a world gone by speak again the immortal tale, The Great Plague. My name's C. Farrell, and as I've often said, I'm willing to learn. Learn to do anything, as long as I can earn me enough to keep a roof over me head and food in me stomach. It was at lunchtime yesterday that I first came to this blasted town in Newport in Monmouthshire and took myself to the nearest inn to see about a bite for the inner man. I stood at the doorway looking in, and who do I see but me old friend and pal, Grigsby, the greatest thief what ever lived. Yes, it was Grigsby, looking as if he'd never slept on a London bench in his life, eating as full and hearty a meal as I've ever seen. At the same time I sees him, he sees me, and he shouts, Fado! Well, well, well. Grigsby, my boy. You're looking as well as the Prince of Wales. I'm fit. <laughs> yes, fit, Fatto. Fit for what? For whatever you got in that pig like mine. Sit down, Fatto, sit down. I've been looking for a man like you. I want you to meet a friend of mine. Bender, this is C. Fatto. Glad to meet you. Cheery sort of bloke. What? Oh, he ain't very cheery, but you get used to him. You have to. He's a friend of mine. Why not? Since you're asking the question, Mr. Bender, you're the one that must answer it, eh? <laughs> have you eaten lunch yet, Farrow? Lunch, is it now? <laughs> Getting swank, huh? I haven't had a morsel in three days. Broke again, Farrow, eh? You'll never learn to make your way in this world. You ought to make some plans for yourself. I try, Grigsby. Honest, I do. Bender. Yep. Show this bloke how to pick a pocket, eh? Well, it's simple. Look at the table next to the bar. See the old man there? That's old Peter. He's the caretaker for the largest house in town. He always carries the keys to the silver closet and his money in his left-hand pocket. Why his left pocket? He's left-handed. Live and learn, Fatto. Live and learn. Now, all I have to do is walk by him, pass the time of day pleasant-like, pick his pocket... And we'll all have lunch money, and my friend Grigsby will have the silver closet keys. A very important item. Ooh, what if you get caught? <laughs> Bender caught. <laughs> Never. <laughs> I taught him how to do it. Now, watch and learn, me boy. I'll make something out of you yet. I'm watching. Go ahead, Bender. Keep your eye on me. I'll be right back. See the way he walks across the room, just as if he doesn't care? Swaggering, swinging his shoulders like? Yes, I'm watching. He walks easy. Now, look. He stops at the man's table, talks a while, smiling all the time. What's he saying? How should I know, Fanner? No matter what a man says. What matters is he's saying, just saying it. Now, watch his hand there. Stealing into the left pocket there. Ah, he's got it. He has, for a fact. Yeah, he's got the wallet. And the keys, too. Oh, it's quite a trick. <laughs> yeah, it's quite a trick. And I taught it to him. If you want to learn something, Fatto, I told you before, stick to Grigsby and you make a mint of money. i got big plans for myself this night with old Peter's silver closet keys. Should I uh, count you in? As I've said before, and I'm saying it again, I'm willing to learn. So I stuck with Grigsby and Bender. We left the inn in the late afternoon. Grigsby had big plans on his mind, it seems. 
He was walking fast down the village road toward the biggest house in the town. Me and Bender was walking behind. Come on, you two. Get a move on, will you? Can't walk faster than the legs will go. Uh, having you two on my hands, I'll never get anything done tonight. Oh, I'm sorry, Grigsby, but I'm hurrying as best I can. <laughs> what are you up to? Look at the end of the road there. That's the house ahead of us. You know who that house belongs to? How should I know? It belongs to the richest family in the old county. And the family's out of town, I hear. That's right, Brenda. Family's out of town. And the only person living there is old Peter and his young granddaughter, Evie. Imagine. Old Peter along, <laughs> alone with a young child. <laughs> yes, imagine. An old man and a young girl without any protection. <laughs> Well, what are you thinking of, Grigsby? Oh, a simple plan, fellow. I've been working on this plan for days. A plan to steal the silver. It's worth a fortune, and it's easier than taking candy from a baby. Now I see why you stole the keys. Well, there's the house. We had to wait around here till midnight. When midnight comes, I'll knock on the door, and old Peter will open it. Then Bender here clubs him over the head. And I goes in. Gets the silver and the money. And we leave town. What about the child? Ah, that's where you come into the plan, fellow. You're a little fellow. Good at crawling through windows. What do I do when I get through the window? Find the child and get it out of the way before she starts to shriek and holler. Huh? I ain't no child murder, Grigsby. I ain't. I, I gotta teach you the odd way, Fado. You never learn at all. But, but I... Don't butt me, Fado, or I'll cut your throat for you. I'll cut his throat for him. You heard him, Fado. Bender's good at cutting throats. <laughs> I taught him. But I got a, a wife and kid of me own. I can't go fighting little children. Use I... the knife, Bender. Good idea. No, 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 wait a minute. Don't be hasty. I never was a man not to change my mind. Change his mind. So you'll change your mind, eh? I thought you'd come to my way of looking at it. Yeah, look over there, playing in the yard. It's the little girl herself, all alone. Now, if you're smart, fatter, you'll take a word of advice. I don't think I need no advice right now. You might need it this evening when we start to work. Now, talk to the little girl for a while. Find out what room she lives in. And you might even ask what kind of silver the family's hoarding. Oh, she's a pretty little thing. Look at her, playing by herself, nice as you please. <laughs> like a regular little lady. It's uh, easier to kill a child than a grown-up. They die easy, fast. <laughs> Go on, Bender, don't joke with a bloke. He's getting pale. Go on, Fado. Are you going to talk to her or do I have to convince you with me knife? I'll talk to her. Well, just sit over on the side of the road and watch you. I don't need no watching. <laughs> we'll watch anyway. Just walk right up to her and speak. Hello, little girl. Who are you? Who am I? Why, I I'm a friend of yours. Do you know my grandfather, old Peter? No, not personally, but I I've heard of him. Do you know my name? Now, what is your name? Evie. I live in that house over there. It's a right nice house, Evie. Uh, which room is your room? Don't you know? Should I? Of course. Everybody knows Evie's room. 
Grandfather says he says it's because it's a special safe room just for me. Guardian angels watch over me all the time. Of course. <laughs> Where is your room? On the second floor in the back of the building right over the kitchen entrance. There's a special porch off my room. A porch? Yes. Now I told you about me. What about you? What's your name? My name's C. Farrow. C. Farrow? That's a funny name. Where do you live? Any place I can find for me to live. On the grass or in a haystack, in an alley, in a doorway of a shop. Is there a second floor for you to sleep on in all these places? I suppose so, Evie. I like you. Wish I could stay with you longer, but I can't. Well, where are you going? Home. My grandfather told me to come in promptly at five or I'll catch cold. He worries about me awful. He always does. Goodbye, C. Farrow. Goodbye, Evie. Bye. 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 <laughs> Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye, Evie. Goodbye. Ah, pretty little girl she is. Nice work, Farrow. Quite nice work. <laughs> If I say so myself, I couldn't have done a better job. One would almost think the little girl liked you. One would, eh? Well, maybe she did. That uh, don't make no difference now. We just take a look around the grounds and then wait. Amanda, wait till midnight. Stick around, fella. You're going to learn something tonight. Till midnight. Might even get a few hours sleep. Grigsby led the way, and as I said, I'm willing to learn. As we walked around the ground, I kept looking at the second floor, and my heart sunk. Child killing? That just ain't in my line. For an hour or so, Grigsby studied the land, and then he led us to a little grove on one side of the field, where we sat down to wait. Bender, the big fella, fell asleep. Grigsby kept one eye on me and one eye on the house, and... All of a sudden, I realised it was starting to rain. But rain or no rain, we just waited and waited until the church clock struck twelve. fast asleep when Grigsby said Bender hey Bender wake up uh, uh, it's midnight now oh, oh midnight uh, so soon uh, blast me if it ain't right it's been raining for hours it, we ought to forget the old thing we ain't forgetting nothing come on fatto get on your feet and get a move on oh, I'm on my feet ready Bender I'm right behind you Grigsby well follow me both of you the ground is wet Grigsby not a night to do this job I'm superstitious about the rain shut up well I am Well, gentlemen, there's the house right ahead of us. Imagine everyone's sound asleep. Fellow. Yes, Grigsby? We'll walk you to the back of the house and give you a boost up over the ledge of the kitchen porch. Yes, Grigsby. Go on, go on, get a move on. I'm moving, I'm moving. Shh, both of you. Hmm. There's the porch. You think you can climb it, fellow? I don't know. 
Honest, I don't... Ah, you're better now. Climb up on that ledge and stay there until you hear me pound on the front door. Then what? When I pound on that door, climb in that open window and take care of that kid. She won't feel nothing. Just one quick jab in the heart and... <coughs> she's dead. Here, fellow. Just as a special favor to you, I'll lend you my own knife. Well, go on, take it. Yes, uh, uh, all right, I will. <laughs> well, fella, are you ready? I'm as ready as I'll ever be, I suppose. Climb on me back and I'll give you a boost to the ledge. Now, don't forget, fella, if that child ain't dead, you will be. And Grigsby helped me stand on the big man's back. I grasped one pole of the porch, which was just beneath the child's window, and then, pulling myself up inch by inch, I climbed from the ground to the roof of the porch. The pole was wet and slippery, and my fingers were cut by splinters when I reached the porch. Panting and breathless, I just crouches there, waiting. I see Grigsby and Bender walk slowly around to the front of the house. Then I notice the window, right in front of my eyes with little white curtains blowing back and forth, and it brings a tear to my eye. Then I notice a little white bed inside the room, but the room's too dark and I can't see the child nowhere. It seems to me the old world's quiet, and my breathing's as loud as an elephant's. When I hears... Open up, old man! Open up! I'm telling you to open up the door! Wake up, old Peter, wake up! Hey, you old Peter, wake up before I pound the door down. Are you deaf? Well, open up. He sleeps like a log. Uh, he's playing the fox, I'll guarantee. Pretending to be asleep. Wait a minute. If you don't wake up, I'll smash the door. Gentlemen. Gentlemen. Where is he, Grigsby? Up there in that window, right over your head. Oh, there you are, you dimwit. Come on down and open up this here door. Gentlemen, why do you come to wake up honest people at this hour of the night? Stop playing the game, old Peter. Your time has come. You don't open up this door right away. My time? You mean to kill me? If you don't open up the door... Gentlemen. Gentlemen, I'm afraid you're too late. A crueler fate than murder has taken the breath from my body. What are you talking about? You'll see. I'll open up the door... But you'll wish to heaven you'd never visited this house. I'll be right down. What's he talking about, Grigsby? I'm not quite sure, Bender. Not quite sure. I wonder how that fool Fatter was done. Oh, he's done his job. I know Fatter. Uh, I wonder how long it'll keep us waiting in this rain. If they don't answer soon, we'll break in the window on the side of the house. Oh, here he is. Come in. Come into the light where I can see you. Oh, woe unto you, gentlemen, for trespassing this house tonight. What are you talking about, anyway? Look at my face, gentlemen. The black rings under my eyes. 
and the black splotches on my arms. Do you have any idea what that is? Black rings. Black splotches. Blimey, Grigsby. It's the plague. The black plague. Yes, the black plague. That's what it is. This afternoon, late this afternoon, my little granddaughter came in from play. Within four hours, she was dead. Evie dead? Come in, gentlemen. Look. Look. There she lies on the stairs. Grigsby, look. Look well, gentlemen. Because within the half hour, I should be lying by her side. <laughs> oh, oh, the pain. Oh, the pain. It's the plague, Grigsby. I've seen them before. Run, gentlemen. Run to the tanning factory and breathe in the healing fumes of the tannery. The smell of the tan bark and the leather have curative powers. It's too late for me. But if you wish to spare yourself the horrible suffering of the plague, go. Go at once to the tannery and stay there as long as you can. <laughs> oh, the pain. My flesh. The pain. Oh, the pain. Help me, gentlemen. Help me. The pain. Don't, Help don't, me. Don't touch me, Peter. Come on, Bender. The tanner's factory. As fast as we can run. As fast as we can run. Where's Bender? Where's Bender? I'm right behind you, Bender. I've heard. It's the Black Plague. And nothing can save us. Nothing but the air of the tannery. Let's get there. Hurry. Hurry. Hi. You sit here, next to me on this pile of tannin waste. Right. Fado? Yes. You sit next to him and all breathe together now. Odd. One. Two. Three. Are you sure the fumes from this tanning vat are good for the Black Plague? I've heard nothing can cure you once you've touched someone who's had it. Oh, I never touch out, Peter. Did you, Bender? Never once. Not even tapped him lightly on the shoulder. But I touched the child. You? Yes, and right after that, I touched Bender. Remember Bender? Then I must have it too. Look at me, Grigsby. How do I look? Uh, not so well as a fact. I don't feel well either. Not well at all. Yeah, your face does look sort of, uh, wouldn't you say, bloated, Grigsby? I've got it. I've got the plague. That's what I've got. If that must have it too. But nobody touched me, nobody. Nobody, Bender. I'm still all right. You won't be for long, Grigsby. What are you talking about? I'm going to die. But you ain't going to live. you got to send to this. I'll rub me hands on your face. That's what I'll do. Rub me hands on your face. No, you don't, you. Give me that knife, Farrow. He argues me. Don't give it to him, Farrow. I got it now. And if you come near me, Bender, you know what'll happen to you. What's the difference now? The plague of the knife makes no difference to me either way. Stay away from me. I won't stay away from you, Grigsby. My hands are covered with a disease and it'll soon be on your face. You big, you dog. I'll teach you. You'll teach me what? The knife. The knife. Don't you. Uh, uh, <laughs> It'll take care of him for a long time to come. <gasps> Bender's dead. And we'll be with him in a short time, Grigsby. Oh, the plague. The black plague. What can I do, fella? I don't know rightly, Grigsby. I'm just sitting here watching you, waiting to see. Maybe I'll learn something. The leather scraps. Maybe if I rub myself with the leather scraps, maybe if I... Fella, I don't want to die. Not yet. I, I don't want to die. I'm the greatest thief that ever lived. Clever, too. Nobody ever beat Grigsby before nobody. Nobody ever did before, Grigsby. 
But they ain't going to this time. No, they ain't. Well, maybe the Black Plague's got more power than you have. You can't fight the plague, Grigsby. <laughs> Is me face turning black? Uh, I can't rightly tell yet. Me eyes. How do me eyes look? Uh, red and swollen. Oh, any black rings around them? Oh, give it time. It takes time for the black plague to grow. Time. Time. <laughs> if you'll sit still, it won't be half as painful to die. Maybe, maybe if I breathe deeply. Uh, that won't do any good. What do I have to die? I guess you do. I guess you do. But don't worry. You'll have plenty of warning before you die. The pain will tell you. The screaming pain. The pain. The screaming pain. And then Grigsby collapsed, crying like he was a baby. I sat there for one whole hour watching Grigsby. Bender was dead. As the time slowly passed and the night became morning, I, I noticed a group of men heading toward us. They were carrying guns. And I poked Grigsby in the ribs. Hi, Grigsby. Somebody's coming. Uh, what's the difference now, fellow? You'll find out. Hello over there. Hello. Mr. Grigsby. Mr. Grigsby. What's he want? I don't know. Ask him. I'm Mr. Grigsby. Oh, yes, Grigsby. And are you Mr. Farrow? That's what they call me. And the man with the knife in him is Mr. Bender, I presume. You'll have to take my word for it. You can't ask a dead man no questions. Gentlemen, in the name of the law, you're under arrest. Seize them, boys. Wait a minute. Arrested? For what? For what am I arrested? For what? For housebreaking and plotting against the life of a child. And now it's for murder. How do you know all these things? How do I know? He told me. Old Peter? Yes, I told him, Mr. Grigsby. You? You told him? I thought you were dead of the Black Plague. I know you did. I wanted you to think so. It took a lot of trouble painting on black spots with kitchen charcoal. Ch charcoal? <laughs> Let me go. Let me go. I wouldn't try that, Mr. Grigsby. But, but Levy, she was dead of the plague. I saw myself lying on the steps, dead as can be. Evie was sound asleep in her own bed. You saw a dressmaker's dummy wrapped in cloth and smudged with charcoal lying on the steps. And I thought I was dying, that's what I thought. Bender thought he was dying too. You, you fado. You were the one who told us we had the plague. You did. You were the one who gave me the knife to kill Bender. You I you, always you, told you, Grigsby, I'm willing to learn. You... You climbed through the window to kill the child, yes. You must have known. She wasn't dead. Yes, I knew she wasn't dead. She was lying in her bed, smiling at me as I came through the window. Smiling and laughing. And, and she told me where to find her grandfather. Find him? Yes, find him. And the two of us got together and got an idea. An idea about the plague. Me knowing how afraid you always are of being sick. You double-crossed me, that's what. I promised I'd kill if you double-crossed me and I... Yeah, yeah, come along, Grigsby, and you're under arrest. And you too, Farrow. Take them away, boys. Mr. Officer, don't take Mr. Farrow away. See, I... Farrow's my friend. I don't think there's any charge against Farrow, Mr. Officer. I'll kill him. Come my... on, come on, Grigsby. There's a nice jail cell waiting for you. I'll get you for this someday, Farrow, then I will. Drag them away, boys, and don't waste any more time with him. Oh, Miss Evie. Yes, Mr. Officer. I have a special job for you. 
From now on, Mr. Farrow here is in your charge. Oh, thank you, Mr. Officer. I like Chief Farrow. And I like you too, Evie. Grandpa, Grandpa, can we ask Mr. Farrow to my birthday party today? I don't see why not, Evie child. <laughs> I think he deserves a piece of birthday cake. <laughs> oh, well, blimey. If it hasn't been a long time since my mouth tasted birthday cake. Uh, what do you intend to do in this town, Mr. Farrell? Settle down here and, and get employment? I'll do anything, old Peter. Anything, as long as I've enough to keep a roof over me head and food in my stomach. If you've got any ideas, I'm willing to learn. I think I might have some ideas, Mr. Farrell. It's just possible... That Evie and I both might. From the time-worn pages of the past, we have brought to you the immortal tale, The Great Play. Bellkeepers, hold the bells. again next time for another immortal tale in The Weird Circle. Our next offering originated as a story written by Jack London in 1912. Jack London, as you know, is most famous perhaps for Call of the Wild, an adventure story. Most recently, turned into a motion picture with Harrison Ford from Disney. And um, the original story, The Scarlet Plague, written by Jack London in 1912, is a post-apocalyptic tale. It takes place in London's story in the year 2073. The story, including the symptoms that Jack London describes in his Scarlet Plague, are taken almost verbatim from Edgar Allan Poe's The Mask of the Red Death, especially the, the, the symptoms that wipe out most of humanity, but um, perhaps I'm telling you too much. In this Golden Age radio adaptation produced by the anthology show Escape, London's story takes place in the 1950s. It was adapted by Les Crutchfield and directed by Norman MacDonald. And uh, the play features John Denner, Eleanor Tannen, and Sam Edwards. Escape ran on the CBS networks from 1947 until the fall of 1954. And uh, you might recognize... If you listen to some of the shows from the Escape series, you might recognize the announcers, the narrators, as either the infamous, uh, wonderful 
voice of Paul Fries, or in this case, William Conrad. So here from April 8th, 1954, is an adaptation of Jack London's The Scarlet Plague. Tired of the everyday grind? Ever dream of a life of romantic adventure? Want to get away from it all? We offer you Escape. Escape, designed to free you from the four walls of today for a half hour of high adventure. decay and desolation, looking down on what was once a great city, while coming slowly to meet you, her hand stretched out in greeting to you, is a beautiful girl whose very existence may be the cause of your death. Listen now as Escape brings you Jack London's classic novel, The Scarlet Plague. recording this only for myself, for my own sanity, perhaps even from some age-old sense of duty, for I have not the slightest hope that it will ever be heard by any living human being. I was at one time a professor of English literature in the great university at San Francisco. Professor James Smith, a man who believed in reason and intellect and who abhorred the instincts of animal nature. But that was before, before the terror and the madness of the Scarlet Plague. This morning, I killed a sheep with my bare hands. Then, squatting on the ground, I tore a haunch from my prey and ate it raw. It began simply on a Monday morning, as I recall. I was having breakfast at the counter in the campus cafeteria with Bill Dombey of the physiology department. He was glancing over the front page of the morning paper. Uh, I don't know why I do it, Jim. Do what? Buy a paper every morning. Nothing changes but the date. <laughs> Senator so-and-so back in Washington after whirlwind tour. Love nest killing in Omaha. New bomb test at any talk scheduled what? for the... What's that item down at the bottom? Where? Down the corner. New York fights scarlet plague. Some news reporter's pipe dream, I suppose. Uh, nine persons have died since last evening of a strange malady which has left doctors at Manhattan hospitals admittedly baffled. The disease, if it is a disease, strikes without warning and slays its victim in less than an hour. Apparently, the first symptoms are a feeling of well-being and lightheadedness, accompanied by a slight rise in temperature. A few minutes later, a fiery red rash appears on the hands and face and spreads rapidly over the entire body. Within 10 to 30 minutes, the victim goes into coma and dies. Ridiculous. There's no disease that acts like that. It's food poisoning, something of that sort. Please, Bill, I'm eating. Medical authorities are unanimously agreed, however, that no general danger exists and that there is no cause for public concern or alarm, which is double talk for we don't know what it is yet. Hmm. 
What about a mutation? Mutation of what? Well, how do I know? You're the physiologist. Oh, you're talking about those scare stories, I suppose. Harmless virus or bacteria mutates and throws down some new deadly type. Antibiotics won't touch it. Medical science helpless. A million people wiped out overnight. It's a possibility, isn't it? Oh, Jim, bacteria strains are always mutating. And usually the mutation is less harmful than the parent. That idea's been overworked for years. Pass the cream, please. No. Bill? Hmm? Is it a possibility or not? Yes, it's a possibility. Hey, you're stalling, Jim. That rook's the only piece you can move and you know it. Don't rush me now. I still got the queen back here. Let's see. Hmm. And here is the latest development on the Scarlet Plague. No, the Scarlet Plague. The following Plague. statement was released uh, 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 a few minutes uh, uh, ago I would by move the director them, of you? the Bureau of Public Health. <laughs> Up to this hour, the official death toll in Greater New York is 321 persons. In Boston, 94. Washington, D.C., 111. Chicago, 181. Medical Spreading like wildfire, the yeah. around the clock. It is expected momentarily that the causative agent of the disease will be isolated and an effective treatment prescribed. Meanwhile, stay home and stay calm. We return you now to dance time. Yeah. Turn it off, Jim. How can it spread so fast? It's hard to tell, not knowing the period of incubation, whether it's airborne, contagious by contact, how long it's contagious before the symptoms show up, not even knowing what it is, in fact. One thing sure, though, something's got to be done fast. I guess we can call ourselves lucky out here. There hasn't been a case reported in San Francisco. No, not yet. When all the breathers of this world are dead, you still shall live. Such virtue hath my pen, where breath most breathes, even in the mouths of men. Now, I did not choose this particular sonnet because of possible contemporary suitability, but because it does, I think, best keynote the transitional phase that later... that later appears in the philosophies and the poetic... Is something wrong back there? Smith! Yes, what's the trouble, Miss Baxter? Me. It's the Scarlet Plague! Oh, now wait, now wait. Morley, Everett, wait and give me a hand here. Miss Wilson. Professor Smith, look at my hands. My arm's all red. Now, Miss Wilson. I feel so strange. Cold and numb. I'm dying. Everyone who gets it dies. I'm only 19 and I'm dying. There, there. When all breathers of this world are dead, you... Now it's in San Francisco. I sat for a long time in the empty classroom, 
paralyzed by shock, by a strange fear I'd never felt before, the fear of the unknown. The girl had walked into my class smiling and talking, and now she lay dead at the back of the room. Why? How could it happen so suddenly? What had caused the plague? Where had the terror started? And where would it end? I went to the faculty club. Bill Dombey was listening to the latest reports. These reports from around the nation include the following figures. Greater New York estimated 184,000 deaths. Philadelphia estimated 150,000 deaths. St. Louis estimated 83,000 deaths. Chicago, one moment please. A bulletin has just been handed to me from London. The Scarlet Plague is raging in Europe. Unofficial reports from Russia estimate the death toll in Moscow at 180,000 with additional millions dead and dying throughout the Soviet Union and China. New bulletins will be broadcast whenever they are received for as long as our facilities last. And we... No word of any cure yet? Uh, oh, Jim, I, I didn't hear you come in. I just walked across the campus. It's completely deserted. Yes, I guess the faculty club here is the only holdout. And at that, there are only four. Four? Counting you. Myra Blake of Graphic Arts. She went over to her room to pack some keepsakes. She'll be back. Dr. Barnes is out in the kitchen trying to rustle up something to drink. Bill, that girl who died in my class a while ago, one minute she was all right, and a minute later she was dead. Well, it's fast. That's one thing. Can you get it from contact? I lifted her head. I put some books under it. Nobody knows how you get it. I don't suppose contact matters much. It couldn't be all contact. Not millions of cases in less than 48 hours. Well, why can't they find a cure? They've had two days now. What are they all doing? Dying, Jim, like everybody else. Dombey, Smith. Oh, Dr. Barnes. Here. Maybe this will help. Scotch. Why not? There's a whole case of it out there. I think it might be a good idea to keep that radio on. Yes, you're probably right, Dr. Barnes. Technicians, engineers, they've died by thousands all over the country. How much longer can services like radio, yes, telephones, transportation... Ago. All conveyances, regardless of ownership or occupancy, are being stopped and turned back at Army control points. Stay where you are. Do not attempt to travel. You are no safer in one place than another. The plague is everywhere. Repeat, the plague won't is stop. everywhere. No, they'll still try to run. Yes, also anywhere, just as long as it's somewhere else. Not mutinied. Repeat, the army has not mutinied. It must be getting rough signed out there. signed by Edmund C. Dover, Senate member and acting president of the United States, and by the Joint Chiefs of Staff. In a bulletin just handed to me, Johns Hopkins regretfully states that Dr. Theodore von Zwickler, who had earlier announced partial success in identifying the causative agent of the plague, has just died. So Zwickler. Dr. Zwickler left no notes on his work. Hospital personnel continued to... What happened to the lights? I, a power failure, I guess. It was bound to happen sooner or later. Well, there's a flashlight in that desk drawer. I got it. There's a portable radio with batteries in the game room. Oh, let's leave it for the moment, Dr. Vine. Yes, the liquor sounds better than the news. Well, in that case... I wonder what's keeping Miss Blake. She was coming right back. Hey, wait a minute. Hmm? Where's that light coming from? Looks like a fire. Maybe we can see from the windows. Not one fire, a thousand fires. Down there, toward the bay. Berkeley, Oakland, and over in the city. Why? What started them? Get this one open. 
Can't you hear why, Jim? Gunfire. Yes. They're not waiting for the plague to do the job. No. They're already out in force. The looters, the maimers, the robbers. People with a hate and a grievance. If it started already, it'll get a lot worse. Oh, yes. It'll get worse. You are listening to The Scarlet Plague. Tonight's presentation on Escape. Sunday afternoon, CBS Radio will bring you another of its successful on-the-scene reports gathered by its feature project team. This time, we'll take you to the United States' wide-open back door, the Mexican border, the crossing point for two million illegal entrants last year alone. We call this report the wetbacks because that's what so many of these illegal entrants are called as they swim the Rio Grande into the United States. Here are the wetbacks, Sunday on most of these same stations. And now, escape and the second act of The Scarlet Plague. We stood at the window of the faculty club, looking out across the campus, down over the hills toward the bay, where fires lit up the growing night, and where even fiercer fires of greed and lust and hate burned in hearts that were beating their last hours or even seconds of life in this world. For a world was dying at our feet, and though we had so far been spared, we knew we too were dying with it. Contact is still being maintained with Buenos Aires, and since London overseas went silent... A few minutes ago, this is now our only contact outside continental North America. Mm, makes you know you're we alone. We are at present able really to maintain alone. contact yes, with only two stations in this country, Washington and Chicago. The West Coast has been silent for some 30 minutes, and we do not know whether we are being heard there at this time. Oh, this is unbelievable. At the moment, crazy we are waiting for word from Washington naming happening. the new president of the United States to replace Edmund C. Dover, who died on the Senate platform while attempting to conduct... Yeah. What's the use? Well, are we still agreed on leaving? We must. If by some miracle we do survive, we'll be out of food here in three days. And tonight may be the last chance to find any. Probably looting every store in the Bay Area. Grocery stores, liquor stores, jewelers, fur shops. More the reason to get started now, then. Right. If we can make three or four trips with the station wagon tonight, we ought to be set here for quite a while. Uh, what about those pistols, Dr. Barnes? You oh. said there were a couple in the safe. Yes, I'll, I'll get them. Funny how things are changing. He was chancellor of this university. Now he's foraging for food. Yes, well, I'll gas up the station wagon and get it over here so we can... Is anybody here? Well, Jim, turn that flashlight on the door. Myra. Jim, thank heaven you're still here. Oh, Dr. Barnes was worried about you, Myra. He just went into the other room. I'll tell him you're here. All right, Jim. I was afraid there might not be anybody here. I was hurrying to get back, and I caught my heel on the edge of the walk and fell. I think I hit my head. Tripped and fell, the whole world dying, and you trip and fall. I guess it is funny. Myra? Bill, what is it? What's wrong? Dr. Barnes is lying just outside. Dead. Plague? Yes. But he got the pistols. Thanks. Do you know how to use one of these, Jim? In a general way. Well, we'd better get started, Bill. We shouldn't be too long, Myra. You're not going to leave me here alone. Oh, she's right, Jim. I wouldn't want to be left alone either. 
All right. Let's go. We tried the Oakland docks first, the big food warehouses along the railroad tracks. It was a dead end. From a mile away, we could see the blaze towering into the night sky. The whole dock area was in flames. We swung the station wagon back onto the ramp and headed across the Bay Bridge toward the city itself, fighting our way in and out of the jumbled traffic and the terrified crowds on foot, turning and twisting among the dead and dying. Better go back, Bill. This is getting worse every block. Yeah, I know. I'm trying to get a chance to turn around. There's there's an alley there by the hotel. Maybe you can edge in there. It's worth a try anyway. Look out, Bill! Hey, watch who you're bumping into. Sorry? I ain't taking a pushing around from nobody. Not anymore, you understand? I told That's you. That's on account of what I got. You take a look at a 45 wise oh, guy. Careful, no. Bill. He's drunk. Look close and you can see the bullet coming out. Watch that. No. <laughs> <laughs> I bet he saw it all right. I bet he got a real good look. At He's him. crazy, Myra. Come on, hurry. We've got to get out of here. What about the other man? We'll leave the car. Come on, out this side. This way, Myra. The hotel entrance. Out of the way. One side. Step aside. All right, come on. What can we do, Jim? They saw us come in. They'll be after us any second. The stairway there. Next to the elevators. Hurry, Myra. Maybe we can find a room, some place to hide in case they come up the stairs. Try that one, Jim. All right. <laughs> hey, look! We've got more guests. Sorry. Come on in and live. That's what all of us are doing. Living while we're dying. Party. Come on in. We got plenty to eat, plenty to drink. Fifty pounds of diamonds, tons of money, lots of women, and not a worry in the world. Come on, Myra, let's go. Jim, where can we go? Well, the hotel's about 12 or 14 stories high. The elevators aren't working. I doubt if anybody'd bother us on one of the top floors, they wouldn't have any reason to climb up there. You want to try it? All right, Jim. Let's go. For five days, we stayed on the top floor of the hotel, and no one came up to bother us. Twice, with pistol in hand, I left Myra in the room and slipped down into the streets to forage for food and supplies. Gradually, over the three days, I saw the mobs diminish, thin out, as the Scarlet Plague continued to rage unchecked. Then finally, on the morning of the sixth day, I brought Myra down from the room to see what had happened to the city. There's not a person in sight, Jim. No one but us. Not another living soul as far as you can see. Listen. There's not a sound. A dead world. There must be others, Jim. Not just us. They're hiding. 
We'll take a car and drive and look for them. There must be others. But she was wrong. We drove for a hundred miles, all over the city and the countryside around it. And when we finally stopped on a hill above the bay, we knew that there was not another living soul in the whole city. We were the only human beings left alive in San Francisco. And most likely the only ones in the entire world. But why, Jim? Why us and no one else? I, I don't know why. I don't know why any of this. It's, it's just too vast to begin to comprehend. But we're alive. That's the only thing that's certain. We're both alive. To be alone, to be the only living human in the world, would mean terror, absolute terror and insanity. I feel guilty somehow, being alive when everyone else is dead. Well, there can't be any guilt when you don't have a choice. It was nothing we did. And besides, Myra, don't you see what it means? Since we've been spared, mankind itself has been spared, and, and civilization. We'll have children. We'll teach them. See that they remember and pass on the greatness of the past. Yes. Oh, yes. Together. Together we can do it. We can give mankind another chance. You and I, Myra, we can keep it from being lost forever. Together, everything is different. There's a new hope, something to live for and work for. And we... We... What's wrong, Jim? Myra. What? Your face. It's turning scarlet. Under the direction of Norman MacDonald, Escape has brought you The Scarlet Plague by Jack London, specially adapted for radio by Les Crutchfield, starring Vic Perrin. Featured in the cast were Parley Bear, Virginia Gregg, and John Daner, with Eleanor Tannen, John Larch, Barney Phillips, and Sam Edwards. Your announcer, George Walsh. The special music for Escape is composed and conducted by Leith Stevens. Next week... You are standing in the bedroom of an English inn. The sound of revelry coming faintly up the stairs. While in the shadows across the room from you, the gun in his hand already aimed at you is an enemy agent whose success depends upon your death. So listen next week when Escape brings you Ben Wright's story, Affair at Mandrake. And now, an adventure from the future. The future uh, from 1953. Something completely different um, due to the success of Tom Corbett, Space Cadet. Um, and uh, obviously, prior to that, in the 20th century, Flash Gordon and Buck Rogers 
juvenile science fiction was incredibly popular. And um, not hard science fiction, just good old-fashioned spaceships, high adventure, ray guns, monsters, that kind of thing. And a very short-lived program was Captain Star of Space. <laughs> I'm sorry, but one of the first things that I think of when I read that is, of course, um, Space Force. But let's not digress. <laughs> Captain Star of Space, it was a twice-weekly adventure series, and it was produced very briefly. It was only lasted from 1953 to 1954. They made about 75 episodes. Only eight are known to survive. It was broadcast on ABC Radio on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.30, right after, right after dinner. This episode is called The Maricus Plague, and it's from 1953. Um, the uh, voices are John Larch as Captain Rocky Starr, Gail Archer as Jane Harlan, and Cadet Stripes, and voiced by the writer Tom Hubbard. The announcer is Lou Cook. So let's board the shooting star, the spaceship the shooting star, and see if the good captain and crew can save some Earth colonists from a peculiar plague on Venus. From 1953, the Maricus Plague. Captain Star, ace adventurer of space, thrilling transcribed adventures in outer space and strange and far-off worlds where mystery, intrigue, and danger ride on every space fleet mission with Star of Space! Nova City Space Station calling Captain Star. Nova City Space Station calling Captain Star. Report for special space mission. Star reporting as ordered, Commodore Bradford. Star, this is Dr. Zavor from Americus, our Earth colony on Venus. Captain Please Star, the doctor is here on an urgent mercy mission. A very mysterious plague has struck America. One that could bring death to every Earthman unless there is some way to stop it immediately. What type of plague does it seem to be, Doctor? We're not certain, Captain. It has all the symptoms of both a galactic plague on Callista and a radiant plague on Mercury. Mm hmm. Has any treatment been undertaken so far? We have administered the treatment of both known plagues, but the drugs in each seem to counteract each other, and in most cases makes the patient worse. Mm. Dr. Savoy, I will give you a detailed report, Star, once you're in space. Your ship has been equipped with a necessary emergency medical unit requested by Solar Medical Division. You'll blast for Venus immediately. What's my assignment, sir? You will assist Dr. Savoy in any way you can to help stop the mysterious Nericus plague. <laughs> Anderson, shooting star in Nova City Spaceport. Come in. Spaceport, the shooting star. Stand by the blast. Well, she's all yours, Skipper. Right. Dr. Zavor wants to see you, Skipper, as soon as you're in space. Very well, Jim. Forward scanner open. Oh, it's locked. File building up. Ten, nine, eight, 
seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. is located in a little-known section of the backwoods on Venus. It's only been settled and colonized for a few short Earth months. Yes, sir, I remember when the colonization started. And so do I. The entire space fleet was on standby, blue alert. They really expected trouble from the natives. There was no trouble. The natives haven't been exactly friendly. But at least they haven't been hostile. The terrain solid graphs show that Americus is flat jungle land, except for a singular chain of mountains. That is correct. The atmospheric generators were set up in the mountains so that the valley could be converted to Earth-type atmosphere. The conversion took place two Earth weeks ago. And is this when the plague started? Yes. At first, I thought that it might be a reaction to the new atmosphere. The colonists threw away their spaceships. But the few who kept them also became afflicted. So my theory was proved wrong. Mm. Was a check made with the natives to see if this plague was a local condition? We tried to make such a check, but we couldn't locate any of the natives. I see. Well, then it's possible that the natives are either aware of the plague and are avoiding it, or... Well, they are responsible for starting. It must be considered, Captain. Yes. Oh, uh, what are your plans, Dr. DeVoy? Polar Medical Division has given me a small supply of Enbrin. Mm, Enbrin is a very rare vaccine. Yeah, so rare that it can't be made in a great enough quantity to be used by all colonists. Yes, and my supply is limited in fresh. I hope that I will be able to find some local drug that can be mixed with the Enbrin. That will stop the American plague. Oh, that could take weeks, Doctor. I understood from Commodore Bradford uh, that we heard... Skipper, come here, quick. Americus is on the visit wave. They're calling Dr. DeVore. Oh. Captain Starr, go ahead, Americus. All right. Americus, plague has taken everything. Women and children first, then... Americus, go ahead. Americus, go ahead. No one left on their feet. We can't. We can't. Americus, come in. Shooting start, Americus, come in. Skipper, it's cut out of the other end. How long does it take America's plague to kill? It depends, naturally, but about 48 to 72 atom hours. We should be able to set down America's in six atom hours. That doesn't give us much time to find a way to stop the plague, but that's all the time we have. Well, can't the Earthians in America get help from Venus Tower? No, each colony in case of disease becomes a single unit under colonization laws. And under existing circumstances, none of you have to remain in America. It is my sole responsibility now. If we decide to stay, Doctor, what precautions do you suggest? You mean you consider leaving now? Answer my question. I would suggest an immediate injection of entrance. Then start your inoculations. We're going to America's with you. Captain Star of the Space Fleet. Well, 
most happy to make acquaintance. Anger, do you know anything about America's plague? Anger, no, nothing. Well, have your people ever had anything like it among them? Cannot talk against tribes' wishes. But your people have cast you out of the tribe, haven't they? You, you must find chief of native named Kildar. Kildar. Yes. You, you must hurry. Very little time left. Very little time. Terrain solidograph, Skipper. How does it look, Stripes? Oh, rough. Here, take a look. Mm. You know, it's going to be hard making our way through the jungles to where the natives live. Then they're not in this vicinity? They were until the atmospheric generators were installed. Since they're not used to Earth-type atmosphere, they had to leave. But what about Angra? Well, oxygen capsules have made it possible for him to stay here. Then the natives do have a good reason to want to get rid of the Earth people. Uh, one of the best. Dispossession. America's plague is either a disease common to the locale or something that the natives have created to kill the earth people. Well, if it's common to the locale, then the natives should help us. <laughs> All we have to do is find them. Uh, uh, I've just injected an inbred combination into one of the patients. Any reaction, Doctor? I won't be able to tell for a few hours. can only pray it will help. Hey, what's that? Huh. It's a thunderstorm, Skipper. I didn't know that it rained on Venus, Doctor. An atmospheric reaction to the new generators. Will this stop you from leaving Storm? No. No, we'll leave as we planned. In one hour. But you Every think... Every minute counts, Doctor. These people in the emergency ward need help as much as they can get. If we can find this cheap killed arm, maybe we can get the information we need. You only hope the people can hold out. Stripes, get our space equipment ready. Right away, Skipper. If you need Gale, Doctor, we can leave her here with you. There's nothing to be done here now, Star, except wait. Wait for you to return. Cut. Well, we'll be out of the valley soon. Yeah. Yeah, if we don't drown first. We'll have to use our oxygen headgear. And I have a small supply of oxygen capsules. Good, keep them. We'll need them in case something happens to our headgear. You know, Skipper, I would... Hey... Hey, it's a portable communicator. Uh, Cadet Sergeant Strife, go ahead. This is the order. The patients have taken it done for the worst. We have four tanks. There are some tanks in our ship, Zivor. Just a minute, Star. I can't hear you. Now, go ahead. There are some tanks in our ship. Get them out and put all your patients in suspended animation. But that won't help. The medical plague. No, but it should help stall the fatalities. It'll at least give us a few hours to find Kildar. Very well. But hurry, Star. I have a feeling that the end is in sight. Everyone, test their headgear. Is your translator working? Yes. How about you, Stripe? Uh, you're coming through. Okay, Skipper. Let's move as fast as we can. Skipper, look, I have a feeling that we're being followed. I know, Gail. I've had the same feeling ever since we left America. <laughs> Come, come, 
atmosphere for long. Give him that helmet. You are very wise, man. But, but, all right now. Who are you? Kilda, chief of America's Navy. Now, if you will do as I say, no harm will come to you. <laughs> but if you disobey me, my people will take the necessary steps. People? What people? They are all around us, man. But will not show themselves. Unless I give them a command. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, shall I prove it? No, no, wait a minute. I'm convinced. What do you want us to do? Not your wits against ours, man. What do you mean? You want to know the secret to the Marcus Plague, do you not? Yes, yes, we do. Then it will be up to you to find the secret. Up to us? What does he mean? So we're going to play games, I think. That is correct. Here among my domain, the secret to the sickness, the shapes like the trees can be found. <laughs> if you are smart. All right, it's your game, Kildar. What are the rules? Huh? I will destroy your Next I will take your supply of oxygen. I will take mine. Oh no. You may keep a one. Uh, that means you have only a few hours in which to find the secret. Before <laughs> you die. Give me your capsule. All right. Give him the capsule. All right. Give it to him. Here. Now. You are free to roam my domain. Good luck, people. <laughs> what do you think it is, Skipper? With all the priests there in the temple, it seems to be some sort of religious ritual. But how is this going to help us find the secret of the marriage? No, no, I wish we could. Hey, look, Skipper. Hey. There's something down. Look. Some natives are carrying a... Well, I can't quite make out what it is. Looks like very large eggs. But what could they be? I don't know. They're opening the eggs. Oh, look. Great thing in the universe, Skipper. Oh. Try to read creatures out of the eggs. Please decapitate them and throw them out in the crowd. And the, the natives are eating them. Oh, how horrible. Kala, Obra, Obra, Obra. The monster. The monster? Yeah, that must be the answer. What do you mean, what's the answer? Oh. Come on, we're going egg hunting. I still don't get it, Skipper. Those eggs the natives were opening must be the eggs from the monster that we saw earlier. Oh, I know, but they were spidery things. In fact, they, 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 they look like a spider. Well, how could they grow up to look like the monster we saw? Yeah. Well, a butterfly looks like a worm before it develops. Yeah, yeah. Well, why couldn't those monsters re resemble a spider before they're grown? Oh, I'm still not with you, Skipper. I'm in outer space somewhere. All right, I'll explain later. Right now, right, right now, let's look through the reeds out there for large eggs. Okay. You stay here on the bank, Gail. Right, Skipper. Come on, Frank. 
Well, where do you expect these apes to be? Somewhere in, in this vicinity. Remember how Kildar controlled the monster? Yeah. Well, that could mean that the monster is worshipped by the natives. How? Like the animals on Eos. And like animals in ancient history. I don't get you. Well, in India, in the 20th century, the natives worshipped white elephants. If anyone abused them, they'd be killed. Yeah, I remember. But I still hey, don't see... Right. I, I found one here. What? He and, and another one. Whoa. Come on. Right. Look on the bank. Hey, it's Gail. Something's happened. Gail. Gail. Let's see if she's starting to quiver. Does that mean she's got the plague, too? We've got to get her back to America. <laughs> you can't leave Gail. What do you mean we can't leave Kildar? We've obeyed your rules. Yes, but you are much cleverer than I thought. You mean we found the secret of America's plague? You'll never live. Kildar? There's one around my neck, good man. You must have lost it, Kildar. It isn't there. That's dead. Can't be. Grab the whistle, Greg. Hurry. I, I got it. I got it. All right, children. Now we're going to play another game called Back to America. Only this time we're going to play it according to our rules. You'll never get out of the library, man. Then neither will you. Now help Greg carry Gale. I'll carry the eggs. We're going to America. Star. Star. 
Can you hear me? Commodore Bradford. Oh, I hear you. And it's music to my ears. Dr. Savoy contacted us. Never Stop mind, Commodore. Take these eggs. Get Gildar to show you how to use them. They can stop the American plague. We've got to hurry. Then never mind us. We've got to... We've got to... Commodore, there are very few times that an enlisted man's glad to see his commanding officer, but, oh, this was one of those times. You know, well, I was so happy I'd even give a few of my stripes back. Oh, <laughs> I let you keep him on one condition. Yeah, what's that? <laughs> that you're right. The Commodore is not a bad guy. Five hundred times. <laughs> well, there's only one catch to that, Commodore. <laughs> what's that, dear? Um, stripes old trouble is coming out again. He can't write. Oh, no, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Well, then, Kildar did agree to show Dr. Savoy how to use the monster eggs, huh? Yes, yes. After some persuasion. Well, then the drug you needed, Dr. Savoy, for the America's plague was in the spidery creature in the egg. Yes. Huh? And I have also found many other uses for the special drug that can be obtained from this source. It will be a big boon to solar medical division. They have taken Kildar prisoner, and he will stand trial. They have talked to his people... They are willing to help the colonists here any way that they can. In fact, they are moving back into the valley just as soon as they learn how to make the necessary adjustments to Earth-type atmosphere. It will be a great help to our colony, Captain Starr. And the people of America will always be grateful to you. Well, Doctor, it proves once again that there is some good in all people. And as long as that's true, we'll have a great universe. the space fleet is based on characters created by Tom Hubbard and written for radio by Tom Hubbard and Fred Eggers. John Larch is heard as Captain Starr, Jane Harlan as Gail Archer, and Tom Hubbard as Cadet Sergeant Strike. Captain Starr comes to you transcribed from Hollywood. I hope you've enjoyed our selections and um, please be safe. Please take care of yourselves. Remember that the life you might save might be your own. Look out for each other and be well. Thanks for listening. Until next time. The original contents of this program copyright the Mark Redfield Company. For more great audio, visit redfieldartsaudio.com. For Ray Harryhausen. Captain's Log. I grow restless as the days seemingly grow longer. I shall not rest until all of Badra's ships are burnt, until she herself is destroyed. You must kill her, my handsome and still skeptical Captain Sinbad. The only good pirate is a dead one. I live to serve Baghdad. It will be my pleasure to hunt these pirates down. Aha! It takes 
an old pirate to hunt a pirate, eh? yourself, Captain Bula! The pirates are upon us! Their ship comes alongside us! Prepare to be boarded! Captain Sinbad! It's the She-Demon Pirate! You remind me of only one other swordsman with such skill. Who? Me! What is that in that file? This? Simply the blood of a siren mixed into a potion that I now drink. Look! Look! She changes, Captain! My eyes deceive me. She is transforming into a great beast. Harun, the lamp! Give me the lamp! To fight, men! Yes, fight! Fight! And defend this ship with your lives, men! From Redfield Arts Audio, available now worldwide on Audible. Jeffrey Combs, Nevermore, An Evening with Edgar Allan Poe. Written by Dennis Paoli. Directed by Stuart Gordon. Recorded before a live audience. You are here this evening, no doubt, to hear yours truly recite the most popular poem ever written upon these shores. <laughs> For many years, my, uh, my, my stories, my tales, they're more popular than my poetry. Magazines and readership just demanded. Oh, new tale, every issue. Oh, God, do you hear it? Louder, 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 louder. Villains, I shrieked. Dissemble no more, I admit the deed. Tear up the planks. Here, here, it is the beating of his hideous heart. 